That is. I'm Charles Holmes from The Ringer Music Show. And I'm Cole Kushner from Dissect. And Charles and I are teaming up to create Last Song Standing, a new show where we determine an artist's single best song by debating our way through their entire catalog. And for our first season, we're covering Kendrick Lamar. We're talking Good Kid to Pimple Butterfly, Damn, Mr. Morale, the mixtapes, the Lucy's, and the features. Listen to Last Song Standing on the Dissect podcast feed only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Smucker's Uncrustables. I love a food hack. Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dylan Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. So we are going to talk about menu ordering when you don't speak the language at a restaurant. Maybe it's tying into a larger theme of intimidation at restaurants, intimidation being when you're scared of even entering a restaurant, ordering at a restaurant, uh, the peer pressure involved at uh, at a restaurant where you're not familiar with, you don't know the cultural protocol, but there are a lot of things that can make someone anxiety-ridden uh, when going to some eating establishment. But I think the number one thing that is an obstacle for many people is the language. And I think that is tied to a lot of the cultural elements. And um, I, I think, for example, Parks Barbecue, well-known in Los Angeles, one of my favorite restaurants of all time. I tend to go there with people whenever I, 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 it dawned on me, I was like, there's a pattern. I brought a lot of people that have never been there before. They wanted to eat at parks, but they're scared or they're intimidated of going because it's, they've never done Korean barbecue before, right? So they, we're not talking today about the actual cultural elements or food literacy knowledge. That is, that's clearer, I think, to everybody. Um, I don't know this. I don't know how to eat this. I don't know kimchi. I've never had this before, right? This person is already, this kind of individual has already moved past this. Now they want to, and they're eating here for the first time, and they want to eat there for the first time, but they don't know anything about, they don't know any Korean people. They don't know uh, what to do. They watch YouTube videos, but still, you can do all the study in the world, but until you're in that moment, it can be extremely um, paralyzing to people. And it dawned on me that I have been sort of the, the even though my Korean is terrible, um, I've been the sort of the shepherd for, for many people, at least a dozen plus people over the years to parks. And it dawned on me while I was sitting on my high horse about that, oh, I'm, I'm like that all the time in a lot of different places. But I ho- hope to overcome my fear by doing a lot of research, by just oftentimes just, it feels like asking somebody out on a date really having that courage to just go to a restaurant. And my life has been forever changed by doing something like that because when I lived in Izumi Tatori in Japan in 1999, which is like two hours south of Wakayama, which is southern Japan already, the only thing that was of note in the small town that I lived in Rice Paddies was this famous ramen shop. I never had the courage to eat there because I was scared. I've never been to a real ramen shop. I didn't speak the language. And it was a locals only. That's a whole, that's a whole other, again, added factor towards being anxiety ridden, the intimidation of going into a restaurant is the, the, the language, the, the food literacy knowledge, and also the, the local slash outsider, the insider outsider angle. And it's, it's where lo- the locals, it was a very rural town. And, you know, I, I'm just not that kind of person that likes to intrude. I want to not do that. So I was scared. And I, 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 I tried many times to go into this restaurant. I still can't remember the name. Um, I've never been back. 
And I was there about four months. And probably honestly, like every day I wanted to eat there, I would pass it by it on the way home from the JR train station. And if I didn't eat there, I don't think there's a chance I'm here today. I wouldn't have done Momofuku. So in, in a lot of ways, you don't even know what can be unlocked if you go to a restaurant that you are really curious about, but you just wind up doing it. And I think that's one of the things we're trying to encourage people, including myself and everyone at Major Domo, is just to get out there and break up the monotony and do something you haven't done uh, or, or have you been thinking about? Just do it. I feel this way for many, many restaurants. I, I'm intimidated to go to certain restaurants. I can't pronounce certain words. I'm, I'm intimidated to try a lot of Korean restaurants because my Korean's so bad. And you, I do think you get treated a little bit differently. And um, I recently went back to uh, Duck House. I was about to say Mark's Duck House, another fantastic Chinese restaurant in Northern Virginia. But I went back to Duck House recently. And a lot of it is just knowledge. First time I ate there was with Chris Chen. It is a place that he's been going to for many years. We went at a six o'clock uh, time and it was, it was fantastic. It really was great. This time we went after the kids went down um, and we went with a couple other parents and we went at around 8.15 because um, that's when we could all meet up. And I didn't do any research. I didn't know when it was closing. I, um, we made a table for six. We did pre-order the duck. And in my head, I had known right off the bat what I wanted to order. I had it all in my head. This is going to be easy because we've already done it. I wasn't even going to attempt to order anything new. We sit down and then I find out that this is on me. I didn't do my homework. One of my dining companions has a severe nut allergy. Not just a peanut, like a nut allergy. And I was so pissed at myself. I was so fucking pissed because now I got to let the kitchen know, you know, that everything has to be this way. They sh I should have told them in advance. I didn't know. And again, that, those are the, some of the things you can do. I should have done the homework. And more importantly, if I had done the homework with the knowledge that someone had a, a nut allergy, I would have ordered differently. So many of the dishes I couldn't order. You can't get Kung Pao chicken, you know, um, couldn't get a couple other things that we had ordered or just to make sure, but they, they accommodated, they didn't cook in peanut oil. Everything was there, but you know, it, it was something that I was like, oh shit, just not having Kung Pao chicken threw me off my game right off the bat. And then the other thing was it dawned on me, the pressure that if you've ever been in this moment, you're at a group of people and they're all looking at you because you've organized it, that you are the decision maker for ordering for the table especially when you're communal dining uh, at, say, a, a restaurant like, uh, like Duck House or any kind of communal dining where you're all sharing in, in, this, in the dishes. No one's ordering one dish uh, for themselves. That's just not happening. That's a lot of pressure. I was, I was, I was feeling pretty scared because it dawned on me. I never ordered the last go-round. Chris ordered, and he speaks Mandarin. I was having a conversation in my, my uh, I don't even know what I was saying trying to explain this to the server, who, I don't know. I don't know what was happening, but I was, it wasn't going well. <laughs> it wasn't going well, and I immediately went to the photos. They got great photos of the menu, and, you know, the, I, I, was, I was about to, like, fall on my face when, you know, God appeared, and my friend to my right just whips up Mandarin. And I, and I was just, like, saved. I was saved. I felt like I got rescued. And she took care of everything. And it was amazing. I didn't even know she spoke Mandarin. And it was, it was great. And we ordered some things. And we wound up having a fantastic meal. But it dawned on me that there are people that might go to a restaurant like Duck House and have that anxiety. Like, I don't know what to order. I don't know how to order. I don't speak the language. And I don't have a friend that speaks Mandarin. I've been lucky enough to have that two times I've been there. Next time, they may not be so lucky. So how do I prepare myself for that meal? What can I do? Is there any tips? And that's what I've been mulling it over. And that's what I've been thinking about, about how to actually be a better diner, how to conquer your fear when you're going to a restaurant. And I know that sounds fucking crazy, but it's, it's real. Like people don't go to a restaurant because they are unfamiliar with it or they don't know the ins and outs of what to do. So uh, coming up next, we're going to talk with Noel and Chris about their own stories about ordering mainly from an angle of not being able to speak the language and what, what places they think as a whole, even though you can't 
um, say one country is the same for every restaurant, where, where the general stereotype seems to be that you might get bad service because you don't speak the language. And, and Chris has, a, I think, a, a, a telling story about the language barrier. Oftentimes, maybe even more difficult when you are of that country, like me being Korean, I'm scared speaking Korean while I'm at a Korean restaurant. I almost want them to think that I'm not Korean. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting topic, and we're going we're gonna to go down the rabbit hole on this. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Look to your left, look to your right. Yep, no one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Chris Ying had, has a funny story about not being able to... Why don't I let you tell me what... Tell, why don't you tell everybody what happened with your recent dining experience with your, your, your birthday blackout celebration bash? <laughs> I'm too. I was like, where was Chris Ying for like uh, 10 days? Noel? I mean, blacked out. No one knows. No one knows. I'll tell you where I was. I was. I, I mean, went to... he had Jamie trying to wear the same dresses as Elizabeth Shue <laughs> in Leaving Las Vegas. It was it's just mentally what? fucked up. Yeah. He was trying to recreate Leaving Las Vegas. It was fucked up. Beat for beat. I, uh, I turned 40 years old and I went to fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada to celebrate. And uh, my restaurant choices were dictated primarily by your last trip that we talked about. You said you had a good meal at Red Plate, which is the the Chinese restaurant, the, the fancy Cantonese restaurant in the Cosmopolitan. And like it these is, days, I had an extraordinary meal. But uh, like I was talking at the top of the podcast and we'll just. Very important note, which I didn't tell you. Okay. I was dining with my friend from Hong Kong yeah. who is. Ex- uh, extremely well traveled, has a lot of money, has eaten everything, and is like has that like gravitas as like I know what the fuck I'm doing, and he speaks perfect Cantonese. So that 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 was like the real difference maker. Okay, that is that is that turned out to be the, the huge difference maker. And so like you know if you haven't been to Vegas in a long time, you know every single major hotel now has like a nice Cantonese restaurant where you can order seafood by the pound, have it prepared the way you want it, salt and pepper or ginger scallion or whatever. Dave, you went, I think you had king crab and you had a peking mm-hmm. duck and you had the the whole the whole nine, right? Yeah, if it was me, on my I would not have gotten king crab. I probably would have just gotten a dungeness crab. Right. But I'm, like, yeah, him, so. we're, we're dungeness people. Of course. We can't be rolling deep with the king crab people. <laughs> we're we're in the we're the we're in the proletariat. I um so I went there with Jamie, I went there with my wife the first night we were in Vegas. And I was so excited because like, I, I live in I live in Oakland. I live in San Francisco. Like we don't have this kind of food. And I was so excited to go to, to Vegas and have this. So again, uh, just for the listener, I just understand what he just did is through massive, massive shade to the entire <laughs> Bay Area. But continue, Chris. Yang. <laughs> I mean, we Aww. just don't. We just don't. We don't. I mean, like maybe there's a couple restaurants that let you do this, but not really. It's it's the truth. I'm sorry. We uh, <laughs> so we sit down at the restaurant. It's just the two of us, and the waiter comes up, and I hear him. He starts speaking Chinese to me, starts speaking Mandarin to me, and like I can understand more or less what he's saying. But like my default is like I don't want to speak Chinese. Like I, my Chinese is horrible, and one of the only things I know how to say that I know I can say clearly and fluently in Chinese is my Chinese is very bad. <laughs> so like I tell him this, I tell him, oh my Chinese is bad. And immediately I just see his like face is crestfallen <laughs> and he just goes, okay, English. Okay. So he starts speaking to me. First of all, mm. it's just like uh, the, the fact that like these Chinese waiters and, and Asian waiters can generally like transition from one language to another, to another dialect without any problem just leads me just like, well, they're such better people than we are. <laughs> uh, side tangent. I was in a Korean restaurant, Dave in LA and she started speaking Korean to me, and I was like, no, no, I'm Chinese. And then she started speaking Chinese to me, and I was like, no, no, I can't speak Chinese either. Oh. Anyway, 
so now now I've already set myself way back in terms of quality of diner. I'm a I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> this is what I as soon as he finished like asking us what we want to drink and walked away, like I turned to my wife and I was like, um, I'm fucked. I'm a piece of shit now. And it turned out to be true because from that point forward in our meal, I ordered a Dungeness crab and he stopped me. <laughs> this is the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me in a restaurant. I tried to order a whole Dungeness crab and he stopped me and wouldn't let me and said, are you sure there's a lot of handwork? You have to use your hands to eat this. I was like, no, I know how to eat a crab. I'm not, I'm not a piece of shit. And then he bring he comes out again later as the crab, as the food starts coming out. And he goes to take our chopsticks and replace them with forks. <laughs> and I was like, this is the end. This is the worst. Oh my. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm so horrible. And just like the entire meal, it was delicious. I had to, I, I just, I do want to say like the food was absolutely I, delicious. I was DMing him uh, every, every 10 minutes we were talking. <laughs> every time he turns back, we were, we were chatting. <laughs> you're, you're like, now bring him a Coca-Cola. I, uh, it was, it was just so, it was so embarrassing. And like, luckily, you know, the meal was really, really delicious, but it got me thinking about this thing where it's just like, I, I don't. It's, it's, it's relatively rare that I find myself on that side, but like I knew from minute one when I didn't speak Chinese to him, like that was it. I was downgraded. I was, I was like, I showed my cards. I showed I did not belong and I was worse off for the whole meal. He was very nice, but he definitely mm. thought I, he treated, he had, he had uh, kid gloves on for me the whole time. The fork drop is so, so sad. It's I think brutal. that's the saddest part of the story for me. It's, I feel like the fork drop as Asians is just equal parts embarrassing as it is embarrassing to ask for one. I, I think getting one is probably worse. Yeah, get, just being uh, getting one as an assumption is one of the worst feelings that can happen to an Asian. So, Noel, do you think that uh, that waiter was being rude? Oh, hmm. Kind I don't of. Think so. I, don't, I don't think so. And this is a real point of debate because some people this is really how you grew up where you grew up and how you look at the world and culture this is as mm. the as the uh not victim as the as the antagonist of this story i do not believe for a second that that waiter was being rude to me i think he was being he was going above and beyond to be a good oh. server because he was like i've served too many shitty people crab and had them complain to me thinking that it was going to be served like already peeled just a pile of lump crab meat i've served too many non-chinese people chinese food and have them reject it i don't want this guy to have a bad time i don't want to have a bad time i think he was going out of his way to be the best possible waiter wow this is so interesting because i like immediately was offended by again the fork drop <laughs> it's offensive so, as hell for sure <laughs> I think that to me is already, you know, I the way that I view it or the way that I would have viewed that is, oh, you think that I'm a real idiot and that I know nothing. And I do, I, I think it might be because, you know, we've traveled a lot, we've eaten a lot, we've gone out a ton. And so maybe living and existing in our kind of funny middle ground makes it feel offensive to me. But I can also appreciate the fact that, like, maybe you really are just visiting Vegas and really haven't been to this type of restaurant before, so wouldn't actually know what to expect. I don't know. That's so interesting thinking about it that way because I service I is great there. One way. Servers in Vegas are pros. the 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 restaurant is, I think, serving some of the best Chinese food food in general. Period. In 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 Las Vegas. And I don't think it's rude. I really don't. But that's not even what I'm sort of like getting at is if he spoke the language, they probably wouldn't have dropped the fork. But I could see a lot of people going to say a um, Chinese restaurant or uh, let's just say Asian restaurants in general that are here in America and seeing the service as being rude hmm. or non-enlightened hospitality. And I think when you don't speak the language and you also don't know the cultural protocol, it can be seen as something that you're not comfortable with. So, ergo, that's bad. Hmm. Hmm. Do you guys think about it that way? 
I, I think that I think it's a I think it's like you said, it's it's sort of where you come from and your baseline for quote unquote good service, right? Like that same server. Like I trust, I trust the Chinese servers <laughs> dining recommendations way more than I do anybody else's. I know that's racist, but like I've never been led astray. And I've also never only a Chinese, maybe okay, general generalization. Maybe only an Asian server will be like, no, no, that's too much. <laughs> or like, yeah. no, no, you got the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Do you want to have some vegetables too? <laughs> like that kind of shit is like so real. And so he, you know. At these restaurants that I really love, well, we can talk about it some other time, but I, I love these places where you have live seafood and you can pick and you pay by the pound. And then you ask them how, and they ask you how you want it prepared. And you ask them, like, what do they like? And he says, like, I, I think it's between the, you know, ginger scallion or salt and pepper. And he's he's amazing in that sense. He's an, he's an amazing waiter. When he dropped, like, their desserts, and a lot of these, like, Asian restaurants now have kind of, like, a more French dessert service like petty fours and things like that like he didn't know how to pronounce half the things he was putting in front of me like so is he a bad server because he can't pronounce like the french desserts or is he an amazing server because he can recommend the salt and pepper crap to me i think he's amazing see i'm gonna say it's not it's not his fault at all i put most of the responsibility on you christian (laughs) the diner yeah because you could have come prepared I studied the menu. I did a okay ordering, but I you could, could have had it. You could have had it written out. Did you also like order it wrong? Does it coursed out weird? Did you did you say sauce on the side? Did you say I I want no you know white pepper, but black pepper's okay? Yeah. <laughs> no, corn, I did no cornstarch. Do you have potato starch? <laughs> oh, I can't use rice noodles. No, I did, did not. You order like I did that? not have any dietaries. Nothing. Nothing. No, no ridiculous advice on how he should velvet the shrimp and things like that. I did. I did. I, I'm saying he did a great job, and the meal was really delicious. I also just think you maybe what I may have sold myself short on by not attempting to speak Chinese to him, not representing myself as a real Chinese person, is maybe a gateway into an even better experience, <laughs> right? Mm. So you wanted to earn a restaurant. You, you feel now you have to earn. It's right? like a, you were scorned by someone you were pursuing. And Cause you I just feel, uh, here's my, here's, here's why my head went was like, maybe there's another crab preparation that he's not recommending to mm. me. Mm. Mm. So you weren't intimidated at all. I was, was I intimidated. I was, I was, I was intimidated no, because I'm used to for for Chinese restaurants specifically, and there's there's other places where I'm extremely intimidated not speaking the language. Chinese restaurants, I'm just used to being a piece of shit because I'm just like this like illiterate ABC. But Noel, when you're in the Philippines, and how's your how's your language? My Tagalog is not very good, but I can understand everything, and so it can you always order in it. Um, no, not really, because a lot of people speak English there, so. They'll ask the question in Tagalog and then they'll hear my accent in like a perfect English accent. And in a funny way, oftentimes I feel like they're trying to push more things on me. Like they're trying to get me to order more things um, or buy more things if I'm at a store. So let's set up this scenario then. You're you're like us. We're I'm Korean, Noelle's Filipino. Chris is Chinese. We go to our respective sort of restaurants, wherever, either in the country or not. Let's just say we're going to our respective countries. My language is terrible. Chris is, you know, we're actually sort of on the same inability to speak perfectly level. Mm-hmm. Um, you go to a restaurant that's really good and you're with other people that are depending on you to navigate the menu because they don't speak Korean. They don't speak Tagal. They don't speak fucking Mandarin or Cantonese. And you're like, oh shit, it's on me. I gotta, I gotta be the anchor here. At what point? And, and then you start to speak enough of your Korean. Like whenever I speak Korean immediately, I get the look, please stop. <laughs> Just speak English. Yeah. All right. Like that look, you guys know that, that, mm-hmm. that point. At what point? And I think this is when a listener could all relate. Now we're at a point where regardless of who you are or your ethnicity or where you're from, you don't speak the language. So do you guys agree at that moment, the server is now judging you? Yes. <laughs> maybe not in like the, maybe not in a, I like a judgmental way, but they are assessing you. They're like taking mm-hmm. in the data and being like, my calculation puts you at a 37% Chinese person. Therefore I will adjust your meal to a 37% Chinese meal. They're judging you. I, I think they are. Noel, you you, hmm. you seem to be 
inclusive? I, I think that I definitely do think that they're sizing me up. I think that there is judgment there, but I think that at least in the Philippines, it's almost slightly reverse. It's like I, in some ways, I think that again, I think that there's slightly better treatment because they can hear that American accent in me. Okay, so let's let's, let's you just came back from Europe. Yeah, you're now in um, Spain. You're in Sevilla or Bilbao, wherever you are. Mm-hmm. You're in a restaurant, and you're no one speaks Spanish, but you speak just enough Spanish. Mm-hmm. Right to order as poorly as we do in our own respective languages. Mm-hmm. You're sitting down, you're at a, a restaurant, and the server now realizes you don't speak Spanish fluently, and they're judging you as like straight off the bat uh, a tourist. Oh, I, we haven't even. You know, you're giving me so much credit to even have gotten to that point because immediately I feel like they hear me ask for a table for two in Spanish. And immediately they give me the English menu. That, <laughs> that's it. it. There's no, there's not even a Spanish menu and they have to get the server who speaks broken English to take my order. So, you know, I don't think this is the perfect comp, but it's sort of similar to this moment. When a team in sports is blowing out another team by like 60 points, well, time to put in the bench player. <laughs> Just think about this. They're not giving you the best server in the restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. And it could be the case that the best server happens to be, and there are restaurants where being bilingual, trilingual is a thing. But a lot of times, if you're going to a place where you guys all know what I'm talking about, you're you're given the the one person that maybe doesn't even serve food. (laughs) Just the person (laughs) in the restaurant speaks English. The guy who was there to like fix the sink at that moment is like now a server. No, it's true. I think it goes back to kind of what Chris and you were talking about earlier with Red Plate. It's like, they're not going to help you figure this out either. Like they they will just take your order and that's it. So you're fending on your own in two different regards too. Makes it harder. Again, like, there's a lot of different ways this can play out. Now their, their estimation of, of this diner is now extremely low. I think. I, I don't know of any, but let's just put it this way. I can't imagine a server or the restaurant in general now thinking, oh, my opinion of this person is elevated as a diner. You know what I mean? At the, at the bare minimum, it's staying the same level. It's not, it's not increasing. It's probably going same or lower, right, in terms of the ability to be a great diner. And we should talk about the meaning of being a great diner to begin with. What makes a great diner? We should talk about that. But we can all agree that probably their opinion of you is rapidly decreasing yeah there's a in this instance it's like it's funny if you take if you think about like the psychiatry of it right they are his like primary fear the 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 red play waiter is that i'm going to complain about something he knows is delicious (laughs) like that's that's Mm. what's happening he's gonna serve me this thing that he knows is delicious and i'm gonna be like yuck like that's what he's avoiding there you have you have a choice you have a choice here you you can you can Come out victorious or leave with your tail between your legs. Now, how, there's only one way you can do this, and that's by ordering like a fucking champion. <laughs> that's right. It's true. And so, eating like a champion, too. Mm-hmm. You literally have a moment to know exactly how Rabbit felt in Eight Mile. You have <laughs> one. <laughs> this is your um, one shot. Yeah. Oh, your one fucking chance. Everyone thinks you're going to choke. Everyone yeah. thinks you're going to mm-hmm. choke. Yeah, every your your three other companions looking at you now and be like, "Oh man, I knew this fucking guy should now have raised his hand." Like, you know, he, it's he can't speak Spanish because he said Barcelona. I knew it. I fucking. But knew it's it. like literally that because you're like a white rapper. Yeah. <laughs> just like no one thinks you're gonna be good. So you have a chance to be Eminem or to be you know Vanilla Ice. Yeah, it's true. How do you how how do you how do you do it? And I think there are ways to do this. And I think we should get into that. Um, you know, one, maybe, one thing I would never, here, here's, here's a move that I will, I can never see myself doing. And I think that if you think this is going to pull you into the M&M world and not be vanilla ice, and you see these in commercials, but like, I cannot ever see myself talking into my phone and then pointing my phone at the waiter to say the translation. Like, I can't do that. Mm. There are ways I think we should, I, I, I would do whatever it takes to win. Again, you would do if the I phone have to win move? A, if I have to win like Bill Belichick 
like 3-0 in the Super Bowl, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right? There's no style points. I'm looking to win. I'm looking to win here Fair and enough. to have a great meal and to earn the respect of the restaurant and the server. That's important. Yeah. To also be like, I'm not, I may be a tourist, but don't treat me like a tourist, motherfucker. <laughs> treat me. You know what I mean? <laughs> there's, a, there's treating you like a tourist and there's treating someone that's a tourist, not as a tourist. There's a big distinction. I don't know how. It's a little bit ineffable to describe that feeling. I think it, we're talking about a lot of research ahead of time, right? Like that's kind of step one into all of this is going into a restaurant kind of already knowing what you're getting into. And by that, I mean, in my case, just looking at pictures on Google Maps, if it's like on Instagram. I think that like having a reference point is almost one of those first steps, no? Yes. I mean, again, that's what I say. It, if you are in a foreign land or a foreign restaurant to you, it's up that you have a choice. You can put in the work or, you know, it's like studying game film. You can study the game film on your time off. Or, you know, you can fail when the moment comes. That's just all I'm saying. You got to be prepared for these moments. You got to practice time and time again. Are you always prepared for meals, Dave, when you go out? Like, when if, was the last time that you went in unprepared? Mm, it doesn't really happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh -huh. <laughs> honestly, sure. doesn't really happen. Here's the here's the the trick, though. I think because I, I I I also I studied all these menus before I went in there. I knew what I was going to order. Mm -hmm. But when but you he had go too in, much pride, he had too much fucking pride <laughs> to write it all out in Mandarin or Cantonese and say this is what I want. I could have ordered the food in, in Mandarin, but I didn't even have the opportunity. I should have just stepped up and tried to. I don't. So I don't know what's worse though. Like, do I speak Mandarin poorly, or do I just give up? Off the bat. But even if you didn't, if you ordered like a boss, my order was fine. My order was fine. But here's the question: fine, Do not, you not boss like? Do you? It was it was plenty sufficient. Did you when you go in knowing already? Because I knew for three days what I was going to eat at Red Plate specifically because I didn't want to fuck it up. But when you go into a restaurant, Dave, where you've already studied the menu and you kind of already know your order. Do you act a little bit in front of no, your what dining I'm companions to, is, to be like, I, I don't know, to, this looks listen, nice. We, we, talked, we talked a little bit about it in the, uh, the, the, the fried rice episode, Ugly Delicious. Like you have to, you have to combat your server. Mm -hmm. You got to say like, I'm not going to take your tourist bullshit. Give me your fucking shit. You know what I mean? Like, I want it. You, you, I, I, give it to me. You got you to gotta, you gotta fight for it. You got to wrestle with it. The reason I bring up Chinese food is in terms of service, and I think the service of food is not always, there's exceptions to the rule clearly, is that it does, in my opinion, uh, best sort of synthesize like Chinese efficiency. Sure. Right? Mm. It's like everything's as, as the crow flies. I don't give a shit. Again, my favorite thing was I was an Asian legend in Toronto and they had a Staples uh, office cart. And that's what they used as the bus table. They just... <laughs> They were just throwing shit in there. And I was like, that's fucking genius. They don't give a fuck. Put the shit in there that's dirty Get as quickly as possible. So like, again, like I, I appreciate that. But it's not just to, to China. So I wanted to ask you guys, what are your like top five places that you think, whether it's a restaurant or country, either or top five moments you've had where you've, you feel like they treat you badly because you're a tourist or you don't speak the language or a restaurant. Oh, let's not, I, I let, let's not do restaurants. Let's say countries. Let's just be, let's just point out countries or cities and generalize that every restaurant in those Aww. countries and cities are exactly <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to say the best. Let's just not say the be worst. I'll say the best. Best for me, I tied our Denmark and Japan. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Or a Scandinavia in general. Because they have so many English speakers? Yeah. It, it really, any place that speaks English. But that's not true because UK can be extremely rude to you. Mm -hmm. And then are you saying Japan for also the English? Or Yeah, 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 yeah. They're mm -hmm. so good. They're so nice. They're so, they're just, I just think that it's just, I never have had an experience where like they're like, fuck you. I've never had an experience where they're like, fuck you. But the only thing is that that sort of thing, like you've talked about before, where it's like, there, you can't have a reservation here. <laughs> you can't eat here. 
Well, that, yeah, that's a wholly different thing. And I would also say some of the old OG places in Denmark or Copenhagen where you get the s'more bread, where there are no tourists. That, I was going to say, that's and the other that's thing. Is like the deeply thing, Danish yeah. places, yeah. they are not nice yeah. to you if you don't speak Danish. Yeah. Any place where you go there, it's just the locals, that's also intimidation. I think restaurant intimidation is a whole thing that we need to flesh out. The different ways you can be scared in ordering something that you want to get, but you can't. Um, I think for me, maybe the most rude places, rude service I've had is France. Hmm. That's interesting. I, so I was just there and I was nervous about this going in. And I feel like, I mean, I, I can also speak a very botched amount of French to get by. And I think what I was kind of surprised by is no one forced me into speaking English right away when, especially when I was in Paris, when I was outside of Paris, that was a, definitely a different scenario. But I feel like it wasn't as bad as I thought that it would be. And in certain cases, I actually thought that they were much kinder than in other European countries, but that might've just been me. Wow. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 one thing to actually the worst, the worst people to me in my life has been Korea for sure. Mm. So much so that sometimes I'm in Korea. I tell people I'm just Chinese. <laughs> 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 it's better. It's better not to even attempt to speak Korean in Korea, but like Korea, Korean Koreans are like notoriously not cool with like American Koreans though. Right? It's called Gyopo. Yeah. It's, it, well, it's different now. It's, very different. Right. But when I was there in the mid-90s, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that, like, that's, like, a, that's a legitimate one. I feel the most uncomfortable in Hong Kong or China. Like, they're, they're, like the waiters, like mm -hmm. you said, though, are, like, they'll bend over backward, do whatever you want. But that's where I feel most uncomfortable and I feel most deficient when I'm trying to speak to them. And, like, I say my order and they, like, say it back to me in a way that is both, like, to confirm what I said and also to correct my Chinese. <laughs> so they so, repeat what I said back to me. I'm gonna when I was in Shanghai with our good friend Mark Johnson and Steph's son, they were living there. This is in Shanghai, and I was I, I was there for a few days. I had on my computer, a laptop, this is before iPads, way before iPads, had things translated on my computer screen in Mandarin. And I would bring them to restaurants and say, This is I would just open up the book and say, this is what I want. It's amazing. Just amazing. That's, just bring I mean, even computer. Like, you know, Yeah, I would just like, have certain things already done. And I think that one of the things that you have to do, in, if you want to earn that meal, sometimes you just got to go to another fucking table of random people that you don't know and say, like, you go to the service like, this is what I want. <laughs> yeah, this one. <laughs> this. <laughs> exactly this. Yeah. You have to sort of lose all self-respect. Yeah. For the deliciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can I, it should just be said, though, that the server, the server classes in general is like around the world, bends over backwards, will serve you anywhere you go. I think, I don't have this experience, but I imagine, or from what I have gathered just watching other people, the hardest place in the world to be if you don't speak the language is America. Like, we make no concessions for right. people. I think you're right. You know oh, what I mean? Can you so imagine sad. America so not speaking Claire, English? Like, Claire. impossible. Chris Yang, that holiday has made your brain very powerful. <laughs> you're, you're, you're correct. <laughs> I mean, Noelle goes to Spain. She gets the English menu. Can you imagine just like walking to a restaurant and be like, oh, here's your Chinese menu for you? Like, fuck no. Like, you don't speak no, it. No, the English, the, the English menu for Taurus is, can I help? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. If I speak slower and right. louder right maybe you will understand right. english am, better am i speaking spanish now <laughs> <laughs> um no you're right america's the worst we're the worst of the worst <laughs> this episode is brought to you by smucker's uncrustables i love a food hack Check out Uncrustables, the best part of the sandwich. It's a round, crimped sandwich made with soft, pillowy bread filled with peanut butter and jelly. The best part is you simply freeze and thaw them, pop them straight from the freezer into a lunchbox for less work on a busy morning. You'll find Smucker's Uncrustables in the freezer aisle. Learn more at Uncrustables.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. 
Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card subject to credit approval. Savings available to Apple Card owners subject to eligibility. Savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. Terms apply. So I'm going to elaborate a little bit about that first Ramian experience in Izumitatori uh, in 1999. And again, I can't stress enough that this may seem commonplace now to go to a city with great ramen, to go to Japan, to eat ramen. Probably haven't, I haven't been to Izumitatori since 1999. Uh, I, I probably assume that it's the kind of city that's small enough. It's not even a city, it's a town that still only has that ramen shop. I don't know if it's still open, but it's the kind of size that only has room for one, like the Highlander. And in this town, the only other place to eat was a gyoza shop. And there was a Lawson's. That's where I ate most of my meals there. And I would get a egg salad sando or bento box. And that was it. Actually, I ate legitimately almost every meal of my life, not in Wakayama, because that's where I was teaching English, in Izumi Tutori, which was like a 30, 45-minute JR train ride. Anyway, a very hot town. Uh, I just checked the weather there. Uh, it, it's like nine. It's like ninety five, ninety three degrees and ninety percent humidity. It's, it's it feels like Jacksonville, Florida, but hot and humid all the time. And my backyard of my building was legitimately a rice paddy, and I would see people harvest rice that 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 fall, that autumn. And I lived with my boss, and that was weird, and I had a broken air conditioner, and I had to wear a suit and tie every day, and it was fucking hell. I hated it more than anything. So I didn't really have anything to look forward to, and I was so intimidated by this fucking ramen shop. I was there a little over four months, and I walked past this damn shop every day. Every, every day. Every day. I would walk past it, going to work and coming home from work, and I'd... I'd look at this place with the, with what I now know was it had ramen in its uh, flag. It had a, a little yellow sort of curtain, and it was it felt like a a small one room house, ground level floor. It was an independent building, and there was a, a brick walkway towards it. And I would always walk past it. And the only reason I knew it was super famous is sometimes I would watch TV at night. And it would pop up or, or people at work would ask me or the students I was teaching English to would say, where do you live? I would say, Izumi Tutori. And they'd say, oh, there's that amazing ramen shop that's there. And I knew nothing about ramen. That, in the sense that what I know now, I ate a lot of ramen, cup of noodles. I ate a lot of shin ramen. I had a lot of jajamyeon and I had a lot of pho, but I never had a real ramen shop. Let me stress that. There was no ramen shop at all. It did not exist in New York City, um, in the East Coast of New York. There was a one ramen shop that was in New York City that was served sushi, but there was no dedicated ramen shop in 1999. Fucking insane, because every city you go to in America has at least one ramen shop now. So I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about the protocol. I knew nothing about ramen at all. I hadn't seen Tampopo yet. I knew nothing. So I was there and I didn't know what to expect. There was no photos. There was no social media. I didn't know where to find a ramen book where it might be located. I didn't speak the language. I knew nothing. I was literally in the fucking dark. And all I knew was there'd be cues and I'd see rough and gruff um, workers Japanese workers, not businessmen, workers, very different audience, if you know what I'm talking about, than the salaryman eating there. And it felt like a local, local spot that I dare not interrupt. I would say a handful of times I, I walked to the door, peeked in, and I walked out, right? It felt like calling somebody for a date when they pick up and you hang up the phone. Um, that was pre-caller ID <laughs> when people would do that because you were so nervous. And I would walk away because I peek in and I couldn't see what was in the bowl. I chased some people there. That was it. And I'd walk away. I never had the courage. So I never really got to eat there until the second to last day I was in Japan. And I already put in my notice. I was leaving. I said, fuck it. Why not? Walked in. 
And I remember that there were a lot of like chess, like waist high counters. It wasn't a sitting restaurant. So that was right when you enter, it was on the left. Left, and it felt like it was going from left to right on a um, diagonal in terms of the way the tables were set up. On the right side, right when you walked in, was a kitchen. It was open kitchen, and you see the cauldrons of soup, and they were making tonkotsu broth. And it wasn't like a tonkotsu, if I recall. It was more of a lighter tonkotsu, a little bit tasted. Tasted a lot, like to me, to Ichiban ramen. It wasn't Chinese shoyu style. Uh, which was a clean chicken broth. This was clearly pork. And if you're in that region, while it wasn't that close to Kyushu, the further south you go in Japan, the more pork brothy it is, more of the emulsion of all the fat and impurities that makes tonkotsu tonkotsu broth, right? right? It's gravy ramen. This was lighter. It certainly had cloudiness, but it, was, it wasn't that. And listen, I didn't know until I tasted it. And I didn't really... Decipher what it was till much later on. The thing I always remember is they had these wire-like holders for eggs. Like it was like a, a tree holder made out of wire for hard-boiled eggs, and those are complimentary, right? And it's so hot outside. You see, I see people drinking cold beers. That's all I remember seeing: people drinking cold beers and eating the eggs. And there was no salt. There was no pepper. You just cracked the egg and you would eat it. And the ramen would come. And I just ordered it. I remember not even being able to order anything. I just said, I pointing. And the lady proprietor, I think the wife of the husband came and, and, you know, I saw them making the bowl and they dropped it. I, it looked like I got the same bowl as everyone else. And I tasted it, not knowing how to eat it, blowing on it like an asshole. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. And it's clearly not a place where tourists go. It's clearly not a place. This is just where it's located. It's not a place where anyone that speaks English goes. This was a real local spot. But I, I remember it being really good. I don't remember anything else. I remember just having chashu. I remember having menma, bamboo shoots. And it being plated, the, the, the chashu was plated at 9 o'clock. The menma was plated at 11 o'clock. And all the noodles were everywhere else. And it was delicious. It was hot. It was also hot outside. And I, and I left. And that was it. I crossed that off. I later ate some at Osaka. Uh, I went to a ramen shop in Osaka. So that was two bowls in four months. I had ramen. I never ate it in Wakayama. I just didn't. Mainly because I didn't know how to order anything. I was always nervous. The only thing I ever spent money on, I remember this very clearly other than ramen, was because I was making fucking no money. And I did talk about this with Chris Yang when I had Shabu Shabu for the first time. And I was just swishing a very meager portion of, of meat in water at a, at a basement level department store um, eatery. Legitimately, almost every one of my meals was at Lawson's. Um, <laughs> and I, listen, I ate well. I, I won't lie. I, I, I can eat there all day long. Or some kind of quick service type of thing. And, you know, I, I wonder a lot. I have wondered if I never ate there, would I have done anything with noodles? It's a possibility, but I think it definitely increased the probability that I ventured into noodles and I had that experience. And I think it was such a memorable experience to me because I coveted eating there for so long, right? It wasn't even about the flavor or the food. It was the fact that I, I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, at least not supposed to do is what I told myself. And I, I enjoyed it very much. I wish I remember the name. Next time I'm in Japan, if I'm ever down that way, I would love to give it another shot and to see. It would be a little bit like going to, uh, now that I go see Hugo's school and the toilets and the sinks and the chairs are so small and so low to the ground, I wonder if I would have that feeling now with everything that I've learned about food all these years later, if it's still around. There's a good chance that it is. And would it be as delicious as I remember? Or would it be just good? You know what? All of that doesn't matter. Um, and that's why I mean it's important to go and do things that you're scared of doing, getting out of your comfort zone. Um, and even if it fails, that failure, you have no idea at all how that may connect in your life later on. And it may not have to be food for you. 
you could have that meal and you're thinking about an idea that you never thought you would think about simply because you're eating there and that has unlocked something in your own career in a creative way or non-creative way, whatever. It's just, there's something about getting out of your comfort zone, getting over your intimidation and seeking out something delicious. And it may not be delicious, but not everything has to be super delicious, you know? But anyway, that's my Izumi Tutori story. Well, I think we settled the debate. America is the worst place to order or to eat from if you don't speak the native tongue of English. Uh, very definitive um, research. <laughs> uh, but listen, and I think you can localize it because of the diversity and because of the cultural differences and the language barrier. And yes, not all restaurants uh, are are trying to have that barrier of language. The late Lupe Leong of Hapu in Chinatown, Los Angeles, he's been written about a bunch. Uh, he had one of the very first trilingual restaurants trying to educate the food of uh, uh, his Cantonese food uh, to a uh, audience that only spoke Spanish. He also had English. So having a trilingual menu, it was really important to him to sort of extend his restaurant to the community. And he recently passed. But not every restaurant has that genuine openness, right? And and I mean, as much as I love the trilingual menu, as much as I love a bilingual menu, I think I've been to some restaurants that have um, menus for like six or seven languages, and they're amazing. We're talking about the highest, highest end restaurant, the most expensive, the most coveted, blah, blah, blah. That's all, not what I'm talking about. There are a lot of restaurants where they're, uh, you realize or not that may have another menu in another language uh, other than English, and it's not or the native tongue that you're of the country you're in, and it may not be. Um, I'm going to say this: it's actually not the best more often than not, and and that's why I don't I don't know if a multiling uh, multilingual menu uh, is the best thing because. Oftentimes, these menus are not updated. Oftentimes, they have items that aren't available on the normal menu. For example, when we were in Italy recently, the one sort of mediocre meal that we had was at a trattoria that immediately served us a, a, a menu that was in English, and it didn't have specials uh, that the other menu had that was more updated. It didn't have porcini. It didn't have the... like a certain fish that was caught for the day. So having to ask for these things is or like one of those barriers uh, of trying to earn a good meal. It's one of those things that you have to sort of overcome. Again, I'm so used to it that I don't think of it as a bad thing. I, I ask for the menu in Italian. I do know a lot of foods in Italian. I may not be able to pronounce them well, but I can order them and I know sort of what they were and what they are. So I saw, and if I needed to do anything, I just use my phone and Google Translate. So again, I, I mix feelings about a bilingual menu. Um, I don't know if it's actually necessary. I think the intent is more necessary than the actual sort of low-hanging fruit of just offering a menu that seems to be evergreen for a, a tourist or somebody that is not a regular at that restaurant. It doesn't always have to be a restaurant in another country, but it gets me to the tourist tax, right? Almost, I mean, I don't know. I would say majority of restaurants, and I say majority because there are many restaurants that do extremely well just in the local community and the regulars. And that has nothing to do with language. But I would say most restaurants depend on a tourist economy. All we needed to do is see the COVID lockdowns and see how lack of tourism really crushed a lot of restaurants. And it is still crushing a lot of restaurants. So we need tourism. So how do you find that right balance? And I think it's 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 important to note that not every restaurant that you go to, if you're a tourist, is, is, is guaranteed going to be a bad meal. But there are certain things you can do to increase your percentage chance of getting a better meal. And I'm going to share that with you, at least what I think you should do. So, you know, there are places that will give you a multilingual menu. I, I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago, a restaurant like Steinreck in Austria. I thought they had like eight different menus and every dish that they dropped, they would drop a card explaining everything on that dish. And at my table, there were like five or six different 
nationalities and everyone had their own card and their own language translated. That is the kind of hospitality that goes above and beyond. So let's just sort of take that out of the equation here. We're talking about, let's just say it's a noodle shop or uh, a place that's near, um, I'm thinking about the first time I went to um, the Forbidden Palace in, in China and I went to a restaurant that I didn't know was a tourist restaurant. They literally had an arrow signing, tourists sit this way, <laughs> everyone else sit this way. And that that couldn't have been more um, clear. And the tourist menu had Kung Pao chicken and uh, orange chicken and lo mein and all of these things. And these guys were just hustling to make a dollar off tourists. Good for them. But like that's on the other side of the spectrum in terms of a tourist tax, right? But you are taxed as a tourist. In, in many ways, I think that restaurants are dependent on tourist dollars to keep them afloat. So they're a vital part of the business. But Knowing that it's going to be transient, they don't always want that repeat business. I think that has changed over the years now that you have TripAdvisor and all these blog posts and um, restaurant aggregator sites that you can leave sort of comments about that. But honestly, I don't think that really moves the needle too much because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a tourist at another place and they don't recognize you and you're not a regular, you're going to have to earn that meal. So, these are my tips for earning a good meal at a restaurant where you're not familiar. And it could, it could happen across town for you. You don't have to leave the country. You may be treated differently because you simply don't speak the language and they're going to make the assumption. Why would they assume that you know everything? So these are my tips. Number one, do your research. Do your research. What I mean by that is not every restaurant or eater you're going to go to is going to be something that you have planned. So number one, I understand that. Number two, you're going to probably base some of your trip, especially if you're traveling abroad, around places that you want to eat at. When you are planning that trip, when you're booking your flights and things like that, spend ample time studying the menu, talking to people that may have gone there, getting the what to order, what to eat list, and not just on one site, right? And just take some notes. If you go, to, if you're going to a place and you don't know anybody that's gone there, that still doesn't mean you can't. There's so much information about just about every restaurant out there. And in the event that you're going to a place that you don't have any information or you you pre-planned, try to have some phrases written out that will direct you to how to eat, what to eat, etc. And I'll also say it's probably a good thing. The only thing I think you should learn in in a, in a verbal way are phrases like "I'm sorry," "Thank you." Um, basically that <laughs> please, sorry, thank you in whatever language that you need to learn that in. But I know a lot of guidebooks and people will tell you to learn phrases. I'm going to say that if you don't speak the native tongue, it's not something you should do. It's not easy to speak another language, even if you're proficient, because once you ask, you're still stuck in terms of where to go after your initial ask in something. So I think the best thing to do is instead of learning those phrases, have that written out uh, preloaded on your phone or your iPad or however you sort of use the internet on, in a mobile way. So it's easier to have phrases written out. I mean, I did explain to Chris and Noel that when I went to Shanghai, I took my laptop computer and I had it loaded out with exactly what I needed to order. I also had things loaded out about my hotel, where I needed to go, etc. cetera. Like everything was loaded up and I had a native Mandarin speaker translate everything to me. So you can always have that. And I do suggest don't just translate what to eat and how to order. You can translate your entire thing, who you are. Hey, my name is Dave. I'm here for 10 days. I'm a big fan of restaurants. I love food. I love the food of country X, you know, um, and I know nothing but I really want to know more. And I just don't want to be limited to what you think that the tourist food is. You know what I mean? You can say something like that. It's okay. Be honest. Have that shit translated. I do that shit. Trust me. And again, this is an event that you're going solo. You don't know anybody. I highly recommend before you do any of this, go with, a, go with somebody that does speak the language and does know the cuisine or has gone there. In the event that that doesn't happen, this works well. It doesn't always work. But what I'm trying to say, these, these are the tips that increase your percentages. And this may be common sense to a lot of people, but maybe not to anyone else. So, so write things out. I mean, I spent a lot of time, as you know, looking at menus before I even get there and planning it out. I, so imagine if I'm going to another country, I have that shit extremely organized and, and I, I want to know exactly what I'm going to order. And, uh, I, I have 
basically like a, a uh, 500 words translated. Uh, and if I can't get a friend to translate it, I'll just use Google Translate, which clearly translates in a wonky way, but it is what it is. The another good way I would do all of these things. <laughs> another good thing to do is if you see something that's not that you weren't familiar with, or let's just say you were walking into a restaurant and you didn't know, pointing at a table. I mean, we did talk about this. Pointing at a table and saying, I want this is still an extremely powerful thing, right? If you tell somebody, I want that king crab, or I want that, you know, uh, I mean, we did this recently at Bistro Nas. I want that dessert because it, we couldn't figure out what it was on the menu. And that was, that was awesome, man. That was awesome. It was great. It was funny. I was, we were looking, we, we weren't, usually we, with someone like Chris Chen, we couldn't figure it out. We just said, we want this. And the server said, yeah, guess what? We got it. It wasn't, that, it wasn't that great. It wasn't not that it was not great. We didn't like it because it wasn't like super sweet. Um, but we love Bistro Nas in, in the SGV. But don't be afraid. You know, at the end of the day, even if you don't have any of this plan, just go in and try to order something. Be fearless. I'm telling you this because it's not something I always do, but I hope to do it. It doesn't always have to be a language barrier. You could speak the same language and still feel out of place, either with the uh, – I'm always reminded of the scene in in The Wire where a lot of the the kids in season – I think it was season four or five were eating at the fancy restaurant and it just sort of felt out of place. That clearly is the most well-known, I think, way of feeling uh, – not being able to speak that language. Language doesn't always have to be – the, the language, uh, the verbal language or the written language. I think another thing that can be uh, the case is wine. I think wine lists are extremely intimidating, right? There's a reason why wine lists have a cheap and inexpensive and most of the stuff in between. Nobody wants to order the cheapest one. Nobody wants to order the highest ones. Well, our wine lists are dedicated to the middle. Again, not every wine list is, clearly. I don't want my Psalm friends to be like, fuck you, Chang. But what I'm trying to say is this, if you're going to a restaurant and the wine list can be extremely, extremely intimidating, ask a sommelier. It is their job. They love to teach. There are some shitty psalms, I won't get you wrong, that are ex- extremely snooty, but I would say for the most part, majority of sommeliers are there to teach you something. They love it. It's their language and they're just trying to decode it. So don't be afraid. I think even asking a sommelier that may be wearing a taste vin and they're in a penguin suit, that can be intimidating as fuck. Don't try not to be afraid. Ask for help. Asking for help is huge. Also, if you don't speak the language, have that shit pre-programmed in your phone. Hey, I know nothing about these wines. I tend to normally like the wines that are like James Murphy, oxidized white type of shit. And you have that, have that preloaded in your phone and Bring it to the sommelier that may not speak your language, you know, but we all want to order like a local. We all want to feel like we belong. And I said this a lot. It's, it's, it's earning a good meal at a restaurant. And that happens a lot of times at places where I don't speak the language or I'm not of that culture of that ethnicity. And I'll go there time and time again until I, I get exactly what I want. I mean. Some of my, I'd probably say my most favorite restaurants are the meals that I've had to do that process where I didn't know anyone there. I didn't speak the language. I have heard it's a wonderful place to get food. People rave about it, but I tend to get maybe substandard or maybe not a meal that's good, but not at the level that people I know are talking about. So that's very frustrating and I want one I can't have. So I'll continue to go back and back and back until I I unlock it. It's like a game for me. And I think for me, the, the, the best in class example is Golden Century that recently closed and, uh, in Sydney, Australia. I would go there and I legitimately, I think I've eaten there more times than any uh, other restaurant in my life. That just shows you how much time I've spent in Sydney, Australia. I would go there a lot by myself and just get bad meals. Not, I want to say bad meals. No, just not. When I say bad, that's not it. Let me just rephrase that. I wasn't ordering right. I didn't know what to get. I didn't know how to do things properly. And over time and talking to other people, I was able to order properly. I was able to get the right things. I was able to converse with the waiter. I was able to sort of 
be unafraid and try things out. And at some point when you're continuing to go to a place over and over, you get treated differently, even though you know you're a tourist and you don't speak sort of Cantonese. So, and again, I love that restaurant so much and I miss it so much. Uh, for those that have been to Australia and Sydney, I think a lot of people miss Golden Century. But sometimes you just got to order like a local and point out. I, I think about one time when I was in China, in Beijing, and we were getting breakfast at a place and I saw a bunch of people, older gentlemen, drinking a tall glass of baiju. Sometimes you just sort of have to order something that the server doesn't think you would order to make it seem like, listen, I'm down. I, I'm, I'm here to do things in an untraditional way. And I remember drinking that tall glass of baiju, being extremely drunk and not really remembering anything else. But again, I tried it. Um, but you really can't go wrong with, with pre-ordering, I mean, pre loading up your phone uh, now that we have all of these smartphones with uh, what to order. I mean, I can't, I can't recommend that enough. I, I do that for restaurants that I do speak. But I also want to say... Having recently been to a Korean restaurant with my wife and a couple of Korean friends, the intimidation factor of even speaking the language is why I say even it's better not to speak phrases, even if you know them or if you learn them, is because it's just not enough, right? Especially if you are Korean or if you are Chinese and you're going to a, 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 a Shanghainese restaurant, right? And there are moments that are more difficult if you are that you're supposed to speak that language. It's, it's extremely difficult I hate being in that situation. That's on me for not being able to speak Korean, but it's not like I haven't tried. I just don't speak it anymore. So it's getting worse and worse every day. So I understand the intimidation factor of not wanting to order. I, I literally just did it and I ordered things in English, even though I knew it in Korean because my Korean's so bad. I don't, I don't want to, I hate being, uh, I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. So I can't imagine what that's like for a lot of people. And I still have that. When you're going to a restaurant and you want to order something, but you just don't know how. And I hate that feeling. And that's all we want to do is make people a little bit more comfortable. And at the very least, if none of these tips made any sense to you, if you're like, this is a bunch of nonsense, I just want you to know that I've been there. We've all been there. You're not alone. Um, but that should not prevent you from trying to seek out something new and delicious. That's all the more reason to get off your ass to go eat at a restaurant that you may not be familiar with, with the language, particularly the language. So I'm, I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to go choose a restaurant that I wanted to eat at and, and I don't speak the language. I'm not going to go with a native speaker and I'm going to, I'm going to show you guys. I'm going to get it translated, what I am, who, what I want to eat and what I want to order. And I'm going to let you know how it goes. Anyway, um, I appreciate it guys. Um, Give us five stars. I'll talk to you guys soon. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.